It's that time of year, your barn is filled to bursting, and you know it's time to make those tough cuts. Cameron and I are joined by special guest Ed Jalowski as we discuss making decisions about your milking herd in this 21st episode of Goat Gab. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, for another exciting edition. I'm Cameron. And I'm Laura. And today we are doing something a little different. We're recording on Monday. Uh, and I want you all to know that I am missing The Bachelor for all of you listeners out there. So uh, I'm sad, but I will watch it tomorrow. I bet you'll find out. I bet you'll find out the same information tomorrow. It won't make a I, difference. I, yeah, it would probably won't make a difference. But I'm excited to announce that we have a special guest, as promised. Um, he has been a mentor, a a coach. Um, uh, he's an ADGA licensed judge. He's judged many nationals. Currently, he's my roommate, and he uh, is also my father, Mr. Ed Jedlowski. Good evening, everyone. We're glad yeah, we're, to have you. Yes, we're very excited here today. Do you want to talk yeah, a little bit about I, yourself? I'm just a little, I'm really honored um, to be on this podcast. I enjoy listening to the podcast, and certainly I think that you're sharing a lot of important information out there for goat people and it's giving them a sense of you know just ways that uh things that work for you in trying to raise dairy goats because i think we learn something new every single year and i i think we've just um experienced a couple of rough weeks of kidding and i would say we've come out of it with some new knowledge already and we're just you know moving on from that so um, i appreciate that about your podcast um, you, you want me to introduce myself? Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I've, I've had dairy goats since 1981. Um, I begged my dad to buy me a goat rather than um, have to show hogs. Um, and so I got one. And the next thing I know, that turned into a dairy goat addiction. Um, I really wasn't very serious about it until um, I was graduating high school um, in 1986. And that's when I put some money down on some... Um, what at the time seemed like uh, expensive bucks. And um, then I bred my Alpines up from that and um, certainly learned a lot from those first bucks that I got. And and then um, went to my first national show in 1989, um, saw some goats there that I really wanted, fell in love with the 17th place milking yearling and said, I want a buck out of her. <laughs> and now we laugh about that because who would want a buck out of a 17th place milking yearling? The funny thing is that <laughs> next year she went on to win her class as a two-year-old. And the next year she won her class as a three-year-old. And the next year she won her class and was reserve champion. And the next year she won her class and was national champion. So I, I knew what I saw, but I, I just knew that that was the goat that I wanted um, to advance my herd. And the interesting thing about that is we have some AI Babies out of that buck we, this year, so do. that's really right. kind of exciting. Right. Um, but anyway, I've been a licensed judge since um, nineteen ninety seven, um, and certainly got an opportunity to judge in a lot of places in the United States and seen some really phenomenal dairy goats. Um, judged some small shows, judged some big shows. Um, certainly uh, enjoy uh, judging and, and getting to see animals. So that's a little bit about me. In my spare time, I like to be a principal. <laughs> a spare time, yeah. Or as um, I like to put it, the job that pays for my hobby. 
<laughs> my full-time job right this isn't a hobby this is an addiction a- absolutely an addiction yes. you're right so i think that's a great way to transition to what's happening on the farm laura what's happened this last week with you well this is this week up until this weekend it's my last milking free and baby free week so um, thank God we got through those horrible frigid temperatures and uh, um, things have thawed out. My heated hose did great through the whole thing. Only one night did I have to put it in the basement to thaw out and um, you know, didn't lose anybody in the cold weather, which is, you know, always something to be so thankful for because those brutal temperatures are just awful. And um, we started um, clipping up you know, clipping udders and making sure everybody's ready to go. So that's kind of about it. How about you guys? I know that you guys are busy in the middle of kidding season. Yeah, we finished up our first group of uh, 14. What is it, 14? Yeah, 15. 15, 15 does. And, um, you know, had some interesting uh, experiences there. And you say it doesn't matter how long you've been breeding goats or taking care of goats that um, you always have um, something happen that you've never experienced before. And we've definitely had some of that um this year and whatnot but uh, we've got 25 kids yeah 25 kids on the ground here um sables and alpines and we're excited for the next group to start kidding which uh will start in march so yes so there's that um we uh had a little bit of an emergency here this week and we had to take russia goat to the vet um which proved to be less less fruitful um experience there so um you know, not, you know, they say if you have livestock, you have dead stock and, and that generally what happened. But the one thing I think, you know, listening back to the ringside and American Dairy Goat podcast, Kurt Schnipke mentioned is um, you, you just kind of got to know when to let them go um, there. And, and then I reflect back on that experience and I saw that animal in so much pain and I said, it's time to let it go. So that's what I we chose to do. Yeah, we had a we had a dry yearling to be um, break her leg and she actually snapped it like in the hawk and uh, it was a pretty freak accident um and it was just one of those things that i i knew when i heard it happen that it was bad and so um i i came in and got camera we were in the midst of doing something else and yes. so as soon as we were done with that we went out and we assessed it we tried to taper up and, and i said we could take her to the vet in the morning and see what they could do but i knew it was bad and that's then what our vet told us and he's He's been wonderful to deal with. And so um, I, I let Cameron deal with that. It was the first time he yeah, had to make that decision. It, it, um, it but but I, I, I felt like afterwards it was one of those things where it was the right decision um, just because we had talked about we, we could see what we could do and try to keep her alive and maybe get a, a breeder next year. But she was always going to have problems with the leg just based on where it was. And like we said, the hawk. So, um, you know, it was the right decision. But um it's it's one of those difficult things um, that I think now a, a little time away from it we feel a little bit more at ease with what yeah. our decision. Yeah. Oh, but so hard. I'm so sorry, guys. Gosh darn it. Yes. Yes. But uh, you know, with with death often comes new life, and you know we we had don't we had doe kids replace her and to look at it in a positive way there and and whatnot there. Um, kind of last thing, that, or one other thing that I did this year, and I, we talked about it on our previous podcast, is how I really don't like to induce a goat. Like, I, I really don't. Yes. We've had some bad experience with it in the past, but we induced a goat. 
<laughs> for the first like the first time in ever since my senior year of high school. Right. And I was so nervous. So nervous about it. We induced her because she was she was like seven or eight days overdue. And we were like, this something's not right here. Like we were so nervous. And it, it the other thing was she had been kind of sick. Um maybe like two two or three weeks before it got really cold. And so I was worried at that point that something was wrong with her pregnancy. Um, but I gave her some antibiotic and she kind of came out of that and she did fine. And I, I wondered at the time if she had lost a kid, if it was inside, if that was going to cause the problem. So Cameron and I talked about this was we induced her. We're like, we're not sure what's going to happen when we induce her. And lo and behold, she had a single doe kid AI um, that's just absolutely beautiful. And it was like, we, we both felt, yeah. we both felt very good about that. So, yes. Oh gosh. It's good when things like that turn out. Okay. Um, how many hours did it take for her to kid after you, um, gave her the medication? About 26 yeah, 26 ish hours. Yeah. yeah. It was a little bit earlier than we thought it would be. Yeah. Catherine, but... Catherine had said something like 30, she had said 36. So, right. But I think she was close enough that th this, we were trying to push her over the edge, you know, <laughs> it's time to go. Yeah. And no signs of another kid, maybe that she had lost or anything like that. No, no I, on wood, but... I, I, um, you know, after she had kitted, I waited with her for a while because she seemed like she might. And then she laid down and pushed and she pushed out some placenta. And when I brought her up to milk, then I, you know, put on the gloves and went in and checked her out. And I, I didn't feel anything. Now that that's not worked out a hundred percent of the time for us this year, but in this particular case, <clears throat> I, I did not find anything and she's perfectly normal now coming into milk look, looking great. So very good. Well, I've seen pictures of her baby and she is, she has that extra special look to her. She's just, just really classy. Yes. Yeah. She, she does have that extra special look to her. Yeah. And it, it, that's exciting. Cause I think that was our last straw of semen um, from that buck. And we'd had, we've had bucks before, but never had a doe. So that's really exciting. Um, but oh, you know, we, we've been joking. We've been knocking on wood with our AIs so far have produced a lot of doe kids. We've got one special one left. It'll probably have bucks now, but that's okay. Probably. <laughs> I don't want a buck, so. <laughs> well, very cool. Awesome. Yes, I think that's all there. I will save some of the other stuff for later here, but I know we want to dive into this uh, right here with some of the Edgar news that kind of happened. So, Laura, what's happening on the Edgar front? Well, one thing I know that um, the Linear Appraisal Task Force um, was supposed to have their the second part of their report or the second part of their work to the um, directors. And I know that's been there, but I also know that um, they've told them to keep the quiet on it. It's not for distribution. So nobody knows what it is. And, and uh, you know... So I'm saying this, I love ADGA. It's really hard to keep secrets in ADGA, but I think they've done a pretty good job with this one because yeah. I haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't heard anything either on that. Also, it looks like the DNA woes for the Nigerian dwarf breeders are back per Facebook. Um, and it looks kind of oh like my a gosh. mess. And I don't know the details, so I am not an expert on this whatsoever. You know, I've talked, I've talked to some of, some of the breeders and so forth. And all I can say is, man, it is just heartbreaking. I, I don't know. 
I feel so bad for people that are being faced with the reality that perhaps their Nigerian herd is not what they said it was and and that they've spent lots and lots of money to get these genetics and that's not what those genetics are and and um you know i'm just putting this out there for all the people that have been naysayers about the importance of dna and especially a sire verification gosh dang this is a good to me this is a good uh reason why you want to do that so i think i think i'm gonna dna verify any buck that i sell off the property i haven't done that in the past i've always dna'd my own bucks and the majority of my mature doe herd has been dna'd but i just i just think more and more in this age if you've got the technology do it what do you guys think we offer that service if if the buyer would want it we we would do that for them there um you know it's not something we've done in the past i know as 20 what is 2023 approaches 2023 right I think so. Is that right? I think I know as that approaches, we will have to kind of change how we do things, our procedure on things for sales and whatnot. Um, I know this is the first year we signed up for ADCA Plus membership. So we will be doing um, some more DNA uh, verification or DNA um, on file for some of our bucks as well there. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, a pedigree is a pedigree and I feel like that Adga is only as good as um, what they stand behind, you know? So, um, you know, as hard as, as tough as it sounds, I guess I feel like that if a ver if a pedigree is shown to be not what it was, that's just, that's just the breaks. That's just what mm-hmm. happens. But on the flip side, I sure would hate to be that, you know, 4-H put a lot of money into buying some animals and all of a sudden you find out, your herd's worthless because you know there's no place to go with um unregistered nigerian dwarves so it, that's just really hard yeah you're absolutely right there um, i think on, on a more exciting note now or less exciting um i think let's move on to our topic in making hard cuts of milkers this is going to be our our first episode in a three-part series we're going to do on um, making hard cuts of goats yeah, that's probably one of the most difficult parts, I think, of having animals and also can be one of the most rewarding parts, too. Yes. When you go I, out I, and you see what you've done. I, I agree with you on that. And you say you look at your herd and you, you know, as you're milking and you say, wow, I'm so excited about this group of animals I have here. But it, it is hard. Well, especially, you know, <laughs> having a husband who's a livestock breeder with he's had cattle and pigs and I mean, livestock are livestock and yes, goats are livestock, but I would guess that almost any goat breeder would tell you that there's something more than that with dairy goats. You know, they kind of cross that line into um, you have a relationship with them. And as corny as that sounds, you know, they're, they're gentle animals. They're smart. They're intelligent. They respond well to, um, you know, they're, they'll, they'll answer to their name. They'll, they'll come to you. You handle them every day when you milk them. And, and it's hard to get rid of some of the, some of those animals, I think. Yeah. I was laughing and they'll come to you. I know some of ours won't come to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're alpine. They're alpines and they just have a mind of their own sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what? Are you saying alpines have an attitude? 
A couple of them do, yes. We have one goat that really doesn't like either Cameron or I. She likes Catherine, but she doesn't like us. So I'm like always, you know, open up the pan and she just runs by us. But um, we, she, you know, she's five now, so she's got kind of a permanent spot. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, you know, talking about permanent spots and whatnot, I think the first thing you have to make sure you do when you look to make your hard cuts is you have to make sure you have all of the information available. Um, knowing the pedigrees, which you should know already as a breeder, but understanding the milk records as well, looking at the show records, just doing your homework before you make any decision and taking into consideration not only those, but your herd goals as well. I think I would agree with that. I think that on the other side of that, though, is there are sometimes those animals that you don't have the data on. And that's where you're unsure. I think of milking yearlings. They change so much. I think of two-year-olds. They change so much. And so I think that's where the hard part comes. And I know that um, we had um, a year, I think it was two or three years ago, where we had a number of nice milking yearlings. And it was like, I mean, we had to do something. We, I, I, I was milking a bunch, like 30. And I was like, I, I can't do this much longer. And I just had to pick four. I picked four. had some other does to go as well. But I had picked four milking yearlings to take to the sale barn. And they were does that I probably could have sold. Um, and they were, they were nicely uttered and they milked well. And it was just like there were other things about them that I said, this is the reason we're not keeping them. And... To this day, I still think about those does because there was probably some quality does in that group. But um, at some point, you can't beat yourself up over it anymore because when I came home that night, I looked at what I had and I was like, okay, I can live with this. And so I think that's part of it. A wise person once told me that, um, you know, when you make when you make those cuts to your herd, no matter the quality that you kept in your herd, they look even that much better <laughs> because, you know, the, the, there's just fewer of them. You can really ad- appreciate what they are. They're not fighting for as much resources in your, in your farm. And, and I've, I've always thought about that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. One thing when you think about the background as well as I implore you to make sure you do a, a good chip, a clip job on your animal's udder so you can truly evaluate them. Just myself and my dad yesterday, we went through and we did all, we pretty much did the whole herd's udders except a couple. Um, And that really, there was definitely a difference, not only in my attitude when milking (laughs) the goats, but, but in how they look as well. And they really give you a sense of what is actually happening with the fore udder. Is it growing? Is it, is it not, is it staying the same? Is it, is it shrinking? You know, did the rear udder drop a little bit there? Laura, I will tell you that tonight, as we stood in, at the pen after milking, he said, there's something very gratifying about looking at all the does and seeing their udders uh, clipped up. And I, and I thought, you know, he's so right. I mean, it really does change how you look. And I, I see a lot of pe- people taking snapshots of photos of does and they're, they're their goats are very hairy or whatever. And, and I understand you got to do what you have time to do. But on the other side of that, if you're ready to start evaluating goats, you you better put them in the best possible light as well. So you know what you're what you're dealing with. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, you've put that much time and money into getting them to that point. Don't they deserve a, a really good look that evaluates those kind of things? 
Yes. So, Laura, what's your first kind of criteria or when it comes to making a hard cut of a milker? What's your, what are you looking for, looking at first? Okay. This is going to sound bad. Personality has a lot to do with it. And, you know, remember, I have a pretty small herd and they're all very closely related. But I'll tell you what, if I have to chase an animal around, and if they're, they have nasty manners on the milk stand and they're not nice to other animals, they have to work extra hard to get me to not look at them with the, I think you're going to go look, you know, um, I know that that doesn't hold for anything in the show ring, but on a day to day basis, you know, I, I take care of the animals a lot more often than I show them. And if they can't be nice in the, in the barn, I'm not going to stick with them. I'll give them some time to learn the ropes, but those goats that just never do, I, they're going to be gone. I just can't handle it. I would not, I would say we do not have that approach. Thinking about all of the goats I've chased in the pen, <laughs> trying to get them to milk when it's noontime and it's three a day milkings for the national show. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's. We've had a lot of nasty ones that have not been fun to do, but it's like, you know, you, you just, you know what it is. But I think Cameron's perspective though, sometimes is also from, you know, a teenager milking in the afternoon and the, the goats aren't always as, when the, when the teenage boys were milking them, weren't always as excited about that as, as they are now when the adults are milking them. But I, I, I hear a lot you of You mean people, the goats can pick that up? Yeah. <laughs> But Laura, I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, culling based on personality. And, and I, I would say to some extent, I mean, I, we, we haven't had anybody that's terribly nasty, mean, biter. That was, um, that was nestling, I think. Yeah. We, 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 I mean, maybe a long time ago, we did not, we've, we've not had too many like that. And we've got one now that's just, you know, she's just a bull in a China shop, but that's just that's just the way that she is and yeah. we've come to appreciate her for that um so you have to kind of laugh at that sometimes mm -hmm. too well and part of the whole attitude thing too also is do you ever have those goats that just act like they want to die always they're the ones who get trapped in the dang hay feeder and everybody else bullies them out of the feeders and um they never act like they want, they don't have the get up and go. They're not the aggressive ones at the feed bunk. They're the kids that get knocked off the lamb bar and just stand there and cry. Mm -hmm. That gets them out of my barn too. I would agree with you there. That that's They've got to have some vigor to them in order to stay. Because if they don't, then they need, they need to go find a different home. In, in nature, they call that the, like a competitive exclusion factor. So only, you know, almost like a survival of the fittest almost. So they need that natural instinct to be aggressive towards all of those things in order to make sure they say, and it's not just in kids as well. It's in milkers. You know, they got to be aggressive at the feed pan when they're getting milked because they only eat grain when they get milked. They've got to be aggressive at the feed bunk because we only give out so much hay and all the other goats are fighting for it as well there. Right. Right. And I think I, you know, I'm not going to say that's the most important thing, but that is one place where I often start, you know, even, and I know we're not talking about kids today, but that, that assertiveness starts as a kid. Yeah, I agree there. I agree as well. Um, back on the, what you guys were talking about yearlings being so difficult to evaluate. 
I would really agree with that, especially like when you bring in a new buck. So maybe you're not familiar with those lines and you look at a yearling and you see pieces and parts that you think look really good, but then they're not all there yet. So how do you know, how long do you wait on them? You know, how, how do you, how do you look in your crystal ball and decide that you're going to give her another year to try to pull together? Or do you just say, oh, nope, I think this is done. How, what, what kind of criteria do you guys use to look at that? I would say at this point, it's become very different in than it was a few years ago where I would look at a goat and I would say, but she has got all these things that are, are positive. Now I'm almost at the point where if you don't have it now, I'm not going to wait for it. I mean, and, and again, I'm, I'm not talking about them maturing and, and barreling out and um, developing more capacity and those kind of things. But I think if if they don't have the overall shape to the mammary system, if they don't have the utter support, um, if they're not milking adequately for a yearling. And, and to me, a yearlings can milk anywhere. A, a good yearling milker can milk, you know, anywhere from six pounds up. I mean, I'm, I don't need yearling milkers to all milk eight pounds. I mean, that's just, I hear a lot of people say that, but I don't have to have that in a yearling. Um, but I really feel like I need to see most, most of, of what, you know, you would, you would think would be, um, important traits in them as a, as a yearling already. And this is, um, this is probably where our difficulty is going to come in this year because we have a really solid group of two-year-olds, but not in one breed in two. And so we have six two-year-old Alpines and six two-year-old Sables. Now in, in a herd our size, you really can't keep 12 if your ideal number, well, the ideal number should be 16, but our ideal number probably will be closer to 20. <laughs> so when you talk oh, about gosh. having 12 there, that is what makes this very, very difficult in terms of looking at, at how we're going to do it. And um, we, we just had a really solid group of Alpine yearlings last year. And I think about them, they all milked well, they all have good shape to their mammary system. And, you know, we did hold on to them and we're now at the point where we're starting to talk about what, what's going to help us to keep them and what's going to help us to get rid of them. And it's getting, it's going to get very difficult. Um, especially because now we we're starting to freshen like first fresheners. We have two first freshener Alpines and it's like, okay, now if both of these are really nice, that's really going to limit it for some of the other does that we thought were really nice last year. Um, so I think that that's where some of the difficulties coming in for us. I think j just to kind of piggyback off what he said, but take a little spin on it. I look at those, those first freshener, first freshening two-year-olds, first freshening yearlings. And I try to say, okay, look at the traits that are going to degrade over time. Look at the shoulder assembly, because that statistically is going to get get worse over time as just the animal moves. That's just the natural locomotion there. The Look at the strength of the rear pasture. That's going to generally break down and degrade over time. The top line as well. So, you know, you're never going to be able to cure a roller coaster top line in a first freshener. That's just never going to happen. So looking at some of those structural traits, that that is a very good place to start when it comes to making good those cuts. But what do you do, Cameron, when they don't have any of those structural oh faults? Oh my god! <laughs> or maybe they have a structural fault, like maybe a little bit more steep rumped than what you want. 
Right. But then when you see them as a three-year-old and they're like bored straight. You don't know that though in the time period. That's right. You don't. So that that's, that's just hard. Kind of, <laughs> that's just kind of where I start, where my brain gravitates towards and some of the justification mm-hmm. I've made when it comes to keeping goats or not. Um, when we talk about them in our herd. Yeah, I think, so, I mean, I think at this point now, as we're, we're starting to talk about it, um, there, there's another method that I talk about with Cameron and we laugh about this, but, um, I really think if a doe has three strikes, she's out. Um, and so I like to say three strikes and you're out. Um, I said to this, to him this year, we maybe need to go to two strikes. Um, but that's like truly there. If, if I can look at the goat and I can say, I can't, I can't look at her without noticing this, this, and this, um, that, that would be a basis for us to go. And I think we've got, um, a sable yearling right now who we, we both really like, but we both think that her teats are a little ugly, but that's only one strike against her. I mean, she's got everything else she needs to have. Um, and so it's like, okay, we might just have to live with those teats being a little bit bigger. Um, and, and I mean, we're pretty sure she's going to fit into the rotation here. Um, with the, with the other sable two-year-olds, but one strike, that's not going to get you anywhere, but three. And, and a, a really good example of this, I think is we had a doe um, a couple of years ago who was the national junior champion sable. Um, her, her mother was a national champion. And so we were so excited to get her fresh and we freshened her and she had this beautifully shaped mammary system, but she had these teats that were absolutely atrocious. They were so far out on the side. They hit the legs at times. She did, however, milk um, like 3,000 pounds as a yearling or 2,800 pounds as a yearling. She was in the top 10. Um, she she certainly was tall and long. She was also a little narrow and she also was not very deep bodied. And so we just, we, I remember last year talking about her and I'm like, Cameron, first of all, I hate milking this guy. Um, those teats are atrocious. No matter what we do, you're not getting around those teats. And so she didn't probably have three strikes, but she had a big strike against her. And that was enough for us to sell her. Now we found a herd that was interested in purchasing her. Um, they purchased her. We got the notification a couple of weeks later that she was an elite doe. Uh, so, but we kept a doe kid out. But but we kept a doe kid out of her. So we'll freshen a daughter this year. Um, and I know when we were clipping out her yesterday, I said, how do those seats look? And Cameron's like, a little out on the side, but not quite like her mama. So, I, I mean, so th- there's a, another case where you just, you gotta, you maybe look at your, um, your herd pet peeves. Um, <clears throat> for some people that's teats, for some people that's, uh, pasterns, you know, there's just, just for you, that's knees for me. That's the, yeah, the structure of the knee. Yes. Is, <laughs> I want a long really the structure of the knee. I want a long cannon bow in a doe so that the, the so that the the knee appears to be very clean and but yet strong. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of Cameron says sure. I have a about it, but it's just <laughs> it's just something that I'm constantly looking at. So interesting, huh? Okay, I, I'm a teat person. I'm sorry. I the Nubians that I had when I was a 4-H'er lovely udders really dairy but had long teats and i got drilled on that all the time oh she's a lovely doe but her teats are too big or her teats are too long and um so i 
oh, I just can't hardly look at a doe that has big teats in my herd. I just can't do it. So one thing I will I will ask, and I'll ask Laura and I'll ask my father, is in in breeds that might be you know less developed, if you have an overhostly breed, or you or we'll pick on the sables here, would you find yourself keeping animals that might have more structural traits but will be more competitive in said breed? I can't answer that. <laughs> I, can't, I mean, well, and I'll, and I'll just tell you why, because the two breeds that I have are Sonnens and Alpines. So, um, you know, an animal, I mean, with Sonnens being my second breed, that would never, I, I would never be able to um, excuse it because, you know, Sonnens are just as competitive as Alpines are, I think. So I, I don't have it. I don't have any perspective to answer on that i could see myself like let's say if i was gonna breed golden guernseys or guernseys excuse me um i I could see needing to give a little more leeway to a work in progress than than i would with the alpines but i don't know i you guys are much better poised to answer that question than i am it's certainly it's certainly an interesting question and um, I, I, I always had my mindset from Lori Acton, who I always heard her say, in order for them to stay here, the Saunans have to be just as competitive as the Alpines and, and the, the Lamanches have to be just as competitive as both those breeds. And so when we bred Lamanches, it was kind of a different story. I mean, we didn't keep a Lamancha that was of less quality than an Alpine. I mean, they were all within the same... You know, we didn't say, well, just because she's a La Mancha, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was very easy to do that. It's been a little different with the Sables, although I feel like we're getting, you know, to the point now as a, as a herd where we have a little bit of consistency and we're seeing a little bit of a type in our particular does. And I really, I really feel like you're right. There are some does that are our Sables that maybe aren't as strong as some of those, you know, alpine yearlings that were we had last year but yet um there there are are does that we're going to keep and we we were having an argument in the barn uh yesterday about our i think we have we have four sable yearlings fresh or three two-year-olds two-year-olds three three sable two-year-olds with three sable two-year-olds fresh and we were arguing about them because you know the one is uh just who just freshened his first freshening two-year-old clearly the best i mean she, she we've known it even before she freshened, like we just we just knew she had the look. She has a lovely mammary system. Her dam has a lovely mammary system. Her granddam is a national champion. So we're we're feeling really good about her. So you're looking at the other two, and I talked about the one with the teats. And you know, she's she's a, a real improvement over her dam in a lot of categories and a lot of width and um, just a lot of neat things about her. The third one is real a little too refined. Maybe um, maybe you'd like to see a, a bit more substance of bone, but just a gorgeous memory system, and just happens to be the daughter of a national champion as well. So like we're we're like Cameron's like, well maybe she'll have to go, and I'm like, you know I I know that the we would like to see her have a little bit more substance of bone, although I've not seen a breed change as much over time as sometimes the sables, and I will tell Cameron sometimes look at these goats of of Clisses, and look at them as yearlings. And then when you see them as a four-year-old, they look like a totally different goat. And so I think in that particular case, 
you know, I talked about maturing if they didn't have it. I think in the Sables, some of them are going to develop it a little bit later. So that's something to think about. Ah, but you have to know your lines to know that. And that's yeah. hard. I mean, especially when you're first starting out, it's really hard for people to be able to say, is it worth, is it worth waiting on or, or not worth waiting on? Yeah. I think as a breeder, you, as you do this m longer, you kind of get a sense of what your lines are going to do. Um, you know, I don't expect somebody starting, you know, right out in goats to understand, you know, what's going to happen with this line already, you know, talking to the breeder and whatnot, but really getting a feel of what your goats are going to do with certain lines is that, but that goes back to a thought I had, and I'll ask both of you, that, and I'll start with Laura here, is do you ever keep a goat because it's from a specific line or it's the last daughter of X goat or, or have a sentimental reason why? Uh, yeah, actually, yes. I did this past year, and I'll tell you, I um, repeated a breeding that produced a very beautiful doe. Um, she finished as a two-year-old, just a real... Not a huge doe, but just a real solid, uh, very correct Kublanc doe. And two years later, I repeated that breeding and uh, freshened that doe last year. And she really looks nothing like her sister. Same genetics, same breeding, doesn't look like her. And typically I would have sent her, I would have gone ahead and sold her. But I thought, I'm just going to freshen her again as a two-year-old and I'll see what she looks like. It may just be that she was the smallest one of quads and, you know, I just need to give her more time. But honestly, in the back of my mind, I've always told myself, I probably am going to have to sell her because she looks nothing like that first, that first breeding that I got out of it. So yes, I have done that. And, um, I can't say that it's going to turn out good. I don't know. We'll see. She's due to kid in about three weeks. So. Well, I'm, I'm I don't sure. Know. I'm sure we've done that um, a number of times and um, it's, it, it's not a valid reason. You're right. Um, but I think, you know, I, you just have to decide what your overall goals are. And if you want to try to preserve something in a doe, then you're going to have to figure out a way to do it. But I, I can think of lots of great does that I've had and having a daughter out of them. And I was just like, I, I can't look at this goat, so I'm going to sell it. And I know that that's happened. So I, I think yes and no, but I think of some, ex, some extenuating circumstances and Laura, you make a great point about, I can remember having full sisters to other does and thinking this one looks nothing like the other one. And so, yeah, yeah I think that's, that's a reason why, you know, your expectations are, are high. And then that, that's a good reason why perhaps they, they can go. Well, and it's kind of heartbreaking as a breeder when you see that, because of course we're all trying to get consistency and, and wouldn't it be nice if we knew that if you added A plus B, you always got C and sometimes <laughs> you get uh, D, E, and F <laughs> when you sure weren't, you know, counting on that at all. So um, Genetics are crazy it's, it's good to hear. Yeah. I, it, I guess that's what keeps goats interesting, I guess. So um you know, kind of speaking on that, uh, I was listening to the Ringside podcast today and um, Kurt Schnipke was talking about culling. And I thought, oh, gosh, this is just really an appropriate thing to bring into our podcast today. And um, he said that um, one of his mentors taught him 
that you should call until you cry. I mean, you need to call till it hurts to call. And he talked about looking at the bottom third to bottom half of his herd and, you know, moving that number out every year. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think I could do that. And then part of my head is thinking, oh, but what if I could do that? What would that look like? And, you know, if I could put all sentimentality aside, what would it look like to get my herd down to that small of a number again and just be able to to focus on those really amazing top animals? That's a, yeah, I, I remember I, I was listening back on that and it was a great point. And it makes me think how emotional um, both myself and my dad can get in the barn because we get very emotional when we're fighting about goats or we're <laughs> sometimes we use a strategy called creating a big board. We used to do this actually when I was in college where we would go and we would rank the goats, you know, one through 18, cause that's what we're milking or, and we just, we'd basically put them places there and we'd have goats that would be, you know, we're not selling no matter what, because this goat has genetic merit or she's won her class at the national show or, or whatnot there. So, um, but we can definitely get, very emotional when it comes to, you know, fighting for our goats we choose to fight for. Yeah, I think you talk about um, calling till it till you cry. I and Cameron's gonna laugh when I tell this story. I know. But... I'm hoping this is the story. Otherwise, I'm so we had a La Mancha doe. <laughs> yes. and we had a La Mancha doe named Panera, and she was not a particularly tall doe, but her dam had been like second place at the national show and reserve, reserve best, best yeah, utter in North Carolina, and. So I had bred her to this customer's buck that I had and produced these two lovely does. And we lost one of them, but we kept little Panera. And she was always just kind of runty, you know? <clears throat> and so she freshens as a yearling. And she's this cute little petite yearling with just this phenomenal udder. <clears throat> and so I remember, like, I, I, we went to the national show and I'm like, I don't, I don't have any clue how this is going to go. But I think she placed like in the top eight. And I was like, okay. I can live with this for this doe. So give her another year. And so every single year, um, she, she she got a little bit better, and she but she didn't really ever produce anything. But she had this phenomenal mammary system, and it, it just kept getting better with age. She was not a particularly big doe, but every national show, we would be shocked. She would place like in the top uh, five or six, and then she went on to appraise 92. I had that goat on the trailer to leave three times okay and every time i would take her off i'd be like i'm taking panera back off <laughs> and it was i don't know why oh, no was it like that we were like emotionally like we, we didn't definitely she wasn't today. like a special goat like she didn't like nuzzle against me or anything like that she was just panera and i was just like <laughs> we were always taking her off and then finally we got to the point where i was like okay panera your time is up so <laughs> but for being on the bubble for <laughs> her entire six years she was at our farm and then appraising 92 yeah. I, I mean <laughs> she 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 was worth every bit although i don't think she ever presented us with a daughter that we no she did no she did not but she made for one heck of a story yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> well so when you're thinking about calling i've got a question for you i think every herd ha has those does that for whatever reason um they've stayed around for a while but, you know, maybe they had mastitis and they've lost half their udder or, um, you know, maybe they injured a leg so they have a limp so you can't really show them. At what point do you decide it's time for this animal to go? 
or maybe you don't have these animals in your herd. Maybe it's just well, people like well, me that what we have is sentimental. You call, it, you call it the retired pen, and and again, the the youngest doe out there is a five year old, but it's like these are does that we're not going to show anymore, and um, you know we we still breed them. Oh, I mean, there's everywhere from a five year old to to a twelve year old in the pen, um, and and that that's kind of that pen where we can still, we can still get some genetic potential out of it, but um, we know that they're not going to be pushed like show animals. And generally speaking, they don't figure into our numbers. Um, and we were just, we were just laughing about that pen the other day because um, one of our does is 12 this year. And we were laughing that how'd she get to be 12? Now she looks rough, um, but she still eats with a lot of vigor and drinks a lot of water and she doesn't breed anymore, but still it's like, that kind of, as long as their quality of life is okay, um, we're going to continue to have her live out her days there. And and I kind of like that part. We just, it's something that we've only had for the last couple of years. Um, but I've talked to Cameron about a couple of the the, do, the older does that we have now that probably won't be the top of our, our show potential this year. And they may have to go out and be part of that pen. And, and that's kind of how I envisioned it as being a pen where, you know, goats were kind of coming and going based on where they are. Um, but I also don't want to get a whole a whole barn full of those goats. I could see that happening very quickly here. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I think that if you have the option to do that and send them to, I, I call it the geriatric ward. He calls it the retirement pen. Um, you know, sending them there because they've either contributed, they can continue to contribute to your herd through kids um, or they that you just want to you know, remember them and let them live out their life here. That can be a great way to not necessarily call them um, if you have this set up in your facility. I think that sounds like a really graceful way to um, honor honor the gifts that they've given you over the over time too. They don't take as much intensive care when they're over there. I mean, you give them the basics, but you're not maintaining them as a show herd. I think that's a neat idea. I like that. That that has been, it's been worthwhile to us. And I think there's five does in that pen and three, we, we have three of them bred this year. And so um, it's, it's the idea that, you know, if, if they don't breed, um, they'll probably live out their lives. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a lot of good genetics over there. So. Yeah. I Going back <laughs> along the lines here is, and I think one thing people are afraid of when they, when they call goats is selling a good one. Um, but I think that's the mark of a really good breeder as well, is that you can sell good ones and put them in other people's herds and they do just as good. Or sometimes better. I mean, yeah. You know, somebody else's management may really help them develop to the potential that they have, or maybe they have a really small herd and they can give them very individualized care or they have better hay or whatever. It, it can be a good thing for you too to send those animals to somebody else and see that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I, I think, you know, we, I think about myself here, we can be selfish with our goats sometimes because we feel like, you know, we might be able to manage them better than anyone else. But I think that the mark of a really, really, really good breeder is saying and letting is letting some good goats go. My buddy from college used to say, um, sell the best and keep the rest. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't really agree with that, but it is a mentality. That's <laughs> I have. 
Well, one of the things that Kurt had said, again, referencing back to um, the podcast he was on the, over the weekend, um, you know, if you've done it once, you should be able to do it again. So it's not like that, um, you know, you can't ever breed such a good animal again. Hopefully you can breed a better animal because you should be increasing your knowledge and, 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 uh, the work that you do as a breeder all the time. So, so it's not, it's not a limited quantity. When you ever call a milker, Laura, have you ever thought, well, I can repeat this breeding and make another one like her. So that's why I should, that's why I can call her. Um, sometimes, sometimes I have, and I've let some good animals go before, um, hoping that if they turn out as good as I think they might, that I could go ahead and repeat that breeding too. So yeah, I've done that before. Have you, do you guys do that? Have you done that? Yeah, we've done that in the past. Um, you know, we just, I think we did that last year with a, a yearling milker that we sold bread, um, cause we had the option and we had the sister, um, so we've done it in the past and I know it's, it's definitely an option. Um, again, we talk about the genetic crapshoot that is breeding dairy goats. Um, so you, you never know what you're going to get or like in the case of us, we just got, you know, a single buck. I, I also think that <laughs> yeah. I, I tried to tell Cameron a couple of years ago that we should only keep doe kids out of does that we were going to keep. But then, like, as we've progressed and you're get, selling some really pretty nice does, um, you're, you're like, well, wait a minute. I want to I might want to keep this one. Um, so I, I don't know. We, we've we've kind of had that conversation this year. We have um, we have three Alpine three year olds and it's like we're going to really only need to keep two. Um, and so the one has this beautiful AI kid and we'll probably keep it. And, um, even though she may not stay that, that, that to me also can help you to sell an animal. Cause you can say, well, at least I've got a daughter, you know, I can see what will happen. I would agree with that too. Um, when I first got back into goats this time, that was a rule that I made with my daughters. If we call the dam, we will not keep any kids out of it at all. <laughs> And that was a, that was a really hard thing. Poor Caroline. She, I all, I bought all three of the girls, a doe kid and they all had good pedigrees and I thought they were going to do well for him. And Caroline's didn't. And so <laughs> she just, she just hated it because she sold them, you know, she sold the mom and then we had to sell the daughters and, but I loved that doe. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I've, I've kind of got, I've been there before. <laughs> Oh gosh, that's so hard. And we've kind of gotten away from that. Um, but unfortunately it's been Caroline's does at different times that either had health problems and, and we lost them or, uh, you know, it didn't turn out. So then we didn't keep it. And she's like, gosh, darn it. You know, <laughs> it's just well, taken a while to, to get her over it. She had the, she had the bad cloud over her for a while, but I think you're right. You know, if maybe maybe that's one of those things that starting out if you're calling the dam because they're substandard maybe not keep a daughter but if you're letting the dam go and she's a darn nice doe but you have nicer in the barn uh, and it's a special breeding maybe you should consider keeping it i well, i don't know that's that's, that's, that's hard kind of that's kind of where we've settled. I think, you know, this, this goes back to what you're talking about with, with Kurt's comments 
is I think one of the elements is taking the emotion out of the decision making. And I think, I think if you're able to do that, then you're able to call and it, he's right. It should hurt a bit. Um, and that's the only way that you're going to get better. And we kind of go back and forth and, and I oftentimes use the excuse, well, we have two breeds, you know, and, and if, if we just had one breed, life would be so much simpler, but I say that and it wouldn't be, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It'd be the same thing. Like, yeah, I'd be able to keep 16 Alpines, but I, do I really need to keep that many Alpines? No, you don't even need to keep that many uh, does already. But <laughs> <laughs> That's what Cameron says. Our magic number should be a 16 milkers. And I just, I don't think I can bring myself to do that. That would be crazy. Thinking about that though, or do you have a number that you have that you say, I, we can only milk X number of goats. Well, obviously not since I'm going to, I think I've got, I think I have 19 that I'm freshening this year. And that is, that is like horrible for me. I mean, it really is. I've, I've, so yeah. Um, to me, my, if, if I were going to have my herd down to a magic number of milking does, it would be 10. That would give me two milking does in each age class. That'd be perfect. But then the problem goes, you know, then they get older and then, you know, do you keep selling them off as they get older? No, of course you don't do that. So then you have, you know, these beautiful older does that, that, you know, you finally know what really is behind them and then you want the genetics out of them and, and uh, your numbers just keep growing. So and to me, the magic number is 10. I, I really would like to get down to that number. It's really interesting you say that comment because you think about it here in terms of the scorecard. We we tend some and some judges in the show ring they may tend to reward animals that get older because we do give you know due regard for um, age and, and stage of lactation when it comes to the scorecard considerations there. But in hypotheticalness, hypothetically here. Um, we, our best animals should be our kids if we're striving to make improvements on them there. So our best animals should be our younger does. Right. For sure. For sure. And then of course you're hit with this thought. And, um, Caroline said this the other day, we were out touring and looking at, at a doe that we have that, um, she'll be a three-year-old this spring. And we happened to finish her championship last year as a two-year-old. And she said, you know, mom, I kind of wish that we didn't finish Fontaine. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> because now we have a three-year-old doe who's just getting to the prime of her life where she should look like amazing. And she's finished. So she's going to be showing in a champion challenge class now against does who are twice her age and have the maturity to go, go along with it. So, you know, your younger animals should look better, but as you're thinking about herd numbers, I I'm often thinking back to what Paul Fox said that, you know, his, his joy is in finishing animals. So he's selling off his finished champions so that um, he can have room in his herd to show more goats. And I thought that's kind of a smart idea too. When, when an animal has an accolade, like an SG, or maybe they were obviously not elite in terms of our case, um, or a championship, or a praised hide, do you really, do you struggle sometimes, you know, calling that animal? Um, yes, because 
at least for me, those are usually the animals that people want to buy animals out of. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm not just looking at the fact that I want to make genetic improvements in my herd, and these are animals that have proven to be superior, but I also need to pay some bills, you know, those, those are the does sometimes that people want those animals out of. Have you guys found that to be true? Um, so this year it's completely different because I think most of our requests this year are from our kids. Um, they want doe kids out of our out of our yearlings or bucks out of our yearlings on the alpine side, um, which is kind of just very different than what we've seen in the past. Um, but I generally don't have a problem selling buck kids out of out of animals that are you know have the SGCHs and, and milk well and whatnot. So kind of different. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I I believe that you know, looking at those, um, that data that the the does have that that doesn't always necessarily add up to to you know what you might want to purchase. So I, I I don't know. It just it kind of depends on what people want. Um, you know I, I I want people to be satisfied with what they're getting. That's the most important thing. Um, and so we, we work to try to satisfy people. I do think it's strange to be picking buck kids out of yearlings, um, for people to order. Um, but if, if, if a yearling is, if a yearling is pretty special though, I would consider selling a buck out of it. Um, you know, again, another Lori Acton story. I never forget when she got the buck, the La Mancha buck out of sequel. I said, she's a pretty nice yearling milker. Um, I said, so I think this will be a nice buck. And of course it went on to be Travis. He was a pretty, pretty special buck for the La Mancha breed. And so it, it's like, I think back on that. And, and so, yeah, there are reasons to buy something out of a younger doe, but I mean, she, she's gotta be pretty special, I think, to do that. Well, and I think you also have to have the perspective to know if they're special or not. I mean, you know, it, it would take a special it would take a good eye to be able to look at that and say, uh, yeah, this, this is an animal that is worthy of keeping a buck out of. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right there. Um, thinking about that, there any other person, any other things here? Cause I know, um, for example, I talked to Craig Copeman a lot and he's a friend of ours and, and yours, Laura as well. He always talks about um, kind of a three prong approach to keeping goats. One being a commercial, having a commercial dairy aspect, um, they've got a milk and they've got to, you know, pay their feed bill um, Two, you know, kind of their confirmation and whatnot. But the third kind of try kind of the, the, the third of the trifecta there is the genetics behind the goat. And he says some goats have stayed on the farm a lot longer than they need to because they've been in AI or they've have unique genetics that they don't have anymore on the farm. What are your thoughts kind of incorporating, you know, three different things there or saving goats just for genetic purposes? Uh, again, I think it has to come down to your goals and how much, how, how much room, how many resources do you have to do that? You know, um, some people, some herds that I admire, they're really small. When you think about herd size, um, Munchen Hill is one that I think about. They don't have very many animals and they don't keep very many animals, but the ones that they keep are, are really exceptional and they, they do well in the show ring with a very small herd. Um, so I would say that they, they probably call a lot harder than I do because I have more animals than that in my herd right now. 
um, and probably to a better effect on that. So, um, you know, certainly if I had a dairy, I could find some justification for keeping an animal that may not have everything that I wanted, but um, had good production behind it. And I think that's always a good basis. You know, at, at the very least, we're breeding dairy animals. So, um, you know, if, if they don't make it in the show ring, hopefully they'll make it in the milk parlor for somebody. I, I think you have to sometimes like let go of those special AIs, you know, couple of years ago, we AI'd a doe of ours to cane and I got a beautiful doe, but she was not like when it the, came the two-year-old year and she was milking all this milk and her udder was terrific, but she was kind of small. And like, I was just uh, looking at her with everybody else. It was like, I, it pains me that I'm getting rid of her. Um, but then we found a herd that would take her that really wanted her for her milk. And it was a good home. And I, I felt much better about that. And so I think as long as you can, you have the justification and, um, you know, I, you don't always know where they're going when you sell them to an individual home. Um, but I mean, we sometimes have to call um, to, to our, our sale barn. Um, and, and I just, I just have to go and, and that I, I, the beauty of our sale barn is that it's in Amish country. So a lot of the Amish are buying um, the animals and I, I'm just under the assumption that they're getting a terrific home. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, you just, you, you just gotta let, you just gotta let things go. And I, I as hard as it is, um, that's the difference I think then between culling animals, those would be the animals we take to the sale barn. I sometimes don't think the animals that I sell to somebody else are necess necessarily culls. They're just animals that aren't fitting into my program anymore. So that, I want to leave kind of the, this conversation off with that. It's like, you talk about culling, but I think you also have to figure out what you can do to help and better somebody else's program by selling this particular animal. We back to this, this making our, our tough decisions. We, you know, we're probably going to sell this three-year-old who's absolutely an exquisite doe, beautiful mammary system. We don't love her feet. I mean, that's really the basis for it. And when you look at the other two, three-year-olds, they're a little bit stronger in their feet and they're genetically sisters. I mean, and it could happen that something strange happens that we end up keeping all three of them. Um, Cameron's shaking his head no furiously, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things that you look at. I mean, a lot can happen um, in the next couple of weeks, and the like. Usually by about April 10th, I have a really good sense of where we are because after that, there are only a handful of does left to kid, and you kind of know what's going to happen with them um, at that point. So. By April 10th, I'd say we're, we're in good shape. And, and thinking about it, we're not that far away from that. So, No, it's coming soon. Yeah, it is. Um, yes, and at the end of the day, there will always be some, some stragglers after that April 10th deadline that you just don't know what to do with. But you, you eventually figure it out there. Um, but yeah, I think that was a great way to end it. Um, and, and great words there. And, and Laura, um, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think, I think a really, yeah, a great way to end it, you know, know what your goals are, know what your limits are. And, um, you know, there's always something to learn. We learn something every year. So uh, we certainly look forward to hearing from other people's thoughts on culling and who's going to stay and who's going to go and making those difficult cuts. And, and I guess we'll see the results of that in the show rings this summer and and see how that kind of works out long term. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, 
Dan, so Cameron, um, we've got um, uh, Dr. Ed Jedlowski for um, being our podcast and being our guest. Uh, where can we find your herd at? You can find us at www.kickapoovalley.com. Um, that's uh, where you'll find our, uh, our our website and certainly check us out. We'll always have goats for sale. I mean, as we've said here, um, a lot more than a lot that we need to sell. Um, but um, I, I want to thank you guys for having me and um, best of luck in your kidding season, Laura. I know um, it's always exciting to start kidding season um, and it will have wonderful things to happen. And then there'll be some things that you don't want to happen, but it's just the reality. And um, you know, that's, that's kind of where we are. Uh, we we lost one of our older does this year, and it was funny because Cameron and I had, had that conversation. I said, you know, she's not getting any younger, and one of these days we're going to lose her. And um, I just had this whole sense through the kidding season that she was really bred, and um, she just had a very difficult, complicated kidding, and um, one of those things that happens. But uh, you you just know that that's also a way that your herd develops and moves on um, is through, you know, the, those does that, that pass on. And sadly you, you don't want that to happen. And I wish you best of luck and that that doesn't happen to you with any of your does. Um, but best of luck. Really killing the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it is good to realize though, no matter how experienced you are, no matter how good of care you take care of things, no matter how many details you watch, there's, there are a lot of things that are outside of our control. And at the end of the day, the best that you can do is to know that you gave compassionate care to your animals, that you were there for them to make those hard decisions when you needed to. And, and you learn from each of them and keep going on. So I just, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost that dough. And, and, um, you know, if I can get through this kidding season and, and not have any heartaches, that would be a first because, you know, every year there's something that something that you wish didn't happen, but that just makes the good times even sweeter, I think, too. So, yeah, Cameron, what are we doing next week? Uh, we have another guest. We have a double shot of guests here um, this week. So um, we will confirm that. Um, and put that together. I don't want to announce it yet because uh, we do have to go through some more hoops uh, for our guest, but uh, it's an exciting one. I think so too. I'm excited. It's always exciting to get to spend a, a couple hours with you, Cameron. And thank you for being part of Ga Goat Gab and thank you listeners for being part of our community too. Uh, where can they find us, Cameron? Don't forget that you can find us on the Facebook, uh, Goat Gab. You can rate us on there as well. That would be pretty swell. Um, also, you can find us our podcast on Apple iTunes, Google, um, Spotify. Rate, like, subscribe. Put a comment on there if you like us. Give us some feedback, too, if you want to. As we were recording, we actually got a message on a show episode. So um, feel free to shoot us ideas if you have that. We love hearing from you guys. Um, and we'll have some cool stuff down the road as well. And one of the things also awesome. you can say is you can say that Cameron only said the word what not three times tonight. So he's improving. I'm so proud of him. <laughs> I was counting two. So yeah. thanks. <laughs> Did you come up with three? Is that, was that your number? I came up with, I came up with three. I, I oh. was pretty blown away with that. So that's that he, see, he corrected that problem. 
Because I counted last week and it was too many times to count. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Ed, thank you for being our very willing and wonderful guest this week. And so we hope we hope we can have you back again sometime. Would love to do that. Thank you. I love talking to you. Have a great week, everybody. See you later.